Hello, and welcome to episode 44 of Law School in Brief. This is one of your magnificent, if I do say so myself, co-hosts, Megan, and with me is... Lydia! Lydia! Hey, Megan, I missed you. It's been I missed two you weeks. Too. It's been two whole weeks. <laughs> but last week, I... I didn't cheat on you per se. I expanded Whoa. our media <laughs> empire just a little bit by uh-huh. um, appearing on my friend Nicole's YouTube channel. She has a channel called Life as a Law Student. And sorry, I'm slowing down because I was like, is that right? But it is. Um, I've mentioned her before, at, like one of the very first podcasts, I think I mentioned um, that I had met someone in my section who was also doing this kind of project so we finally did a collab and we were both talking about our internships uh kind of like how you and i will be doing today um so we'll include a link to that on the twitter very good i i will include that on the twitter though i do feel a little bit like sloppy seconds if this is the second time you're having this conversation no it'll be totally different it'll be Mm. totally different so nicole and i we hadn't really debriefed about like how we found our internships and um, what we're doing and what we were looking for in an internship. And you and I have already covered a lot of that. Like Fair we're enough. getting down to like the more detailed stuff. And I kind of co-opted that video to beg people to write a public comment on the proposed asylum regulations. And now that closed last night and we have already posted about that. And so, we won't need to talk about that more today. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. And for those of you who do not yet follow us on Twitter, our Twitter is at law school N brief. Um, just the letter N like, <laughs> I don't know. Nancy. <laughs> yeah. Like Nancy, like, they, <laughs> like what's an N word. Isn't that crazy? How your brain just shuts off the minute yes. you're like, I can be like M as in uh, Megan. I don't know. Like you, <laughs> someone's like, what's your favorite movie? I'm like, I've never seen a movie in my life. I, can't, <laughs> <Right>? I don't <laughs> know. <laughs> uh, yeah. What's, what book are you reading? It's like, I know that I'm literally currently reading it, but if you're asking me to tell you what it's called or who wrote it, I couldn't possibly. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, very good. Uh, I look forward to this conversation and to watching the YouTube video. Yeah. 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 It's so different than podcasts. I had to, I felt like I had to look nice. And right now I don't look nice. You know? Yeah, no, same. I'm, I'm, it, the feels like temp in Greensboro, North Carolina is 100 mm-hmm. degrees right now. What? Thank I... you, humidity. Uh, yeah, I mean, you just take the dog for a walk and you have like crack sweat. It's not good. <laughs> like my whole my pants are wet. <laughs> like, I'm like, I need to go back into my house. It's not not a good look. Not cute. Yes. Um, but I'm imagining that y'all didn't tune in to hear about where I'm sweating and where I'm not. So perhaps I mean, I'm glad we finally got there. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's been two weeks. So what have you been up to? What are you? How's it going? You know, it's going pretty well. Um, Any more mountain ha- biking? Yes, a- actually a lot more mountain biking. Since we talked last, I've been to Pisgah National Forest not once but mm-hmm. twice. Um, can't get enough. Yeah, it's it's so fun. Uh, no horrific uh, crashes for me. Um, my friend Brian went down pretty hard, but 
he, oh. he's, he's recovering. Yeah, I mean, it was. We have like more more iodine and gauze in this house right now than I think <laughs> I've ever had in any. Have house. you ever used Hibiclens? No, what's that? Oh, <laughs> this is what this is who we should get to sponsor our podcast. <laughs> you know, I just remember when I've had wounds, cleaning them with Hibiclens <laughs> feels you feel so clean, like. That part of you didn't even realize that like your wound felt dirty. You knew it felt pain, or you knew it felt like kind of oozy or whatever. But really, then you clean it with Hippocleans. <laughs> wow. Where can we buy Hippocleans, Lydia? <laughs> I don't even know. Probably Walgreens. I don't know. Use the code Megan is sweaty <laughs> for twenty percent off Hippocleans. That's that is hilarious. Not a real offer. This should not be thought of as a contract. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> this is not an advertisement. <laughs> <laughs> there's no contract here <laughs> yeah. oh, oh good um yeah but so so since we last talked a lot of biking has happened mm-hmm. um a lot of researching for my internship i've been working on a little little project cool. um and yeah i mean gosh like the last time we talked it was the fourth of july i feel like time is simultaneously stuck in a vat of molasses and also just slipping right through my fingers i don't know mm-hmm. what i'm doing or what day i had to like look at what day it was today because i had no idea <laughs> yeah yeah i like that molasses shout out you're kind of embracing the south Sounds i like- mean yeah <laughs> absolutely <laughs> kakalaki baby that's i am from north kakalaki if anyone asks there me from now on. yeah <laughs> what about you what, are, what have you been up to I have several updates for everyone. Oh, okay. I'm buckled in. Okay. Um, to no one's surprise, <laughs> I am not transferring to Harvard, not transferring to Yale, and not doing an MBA. I am just doing the, <laughs> oh, doing my the same thing I was doing when I entered law school. So we're back on track. Um, and that I feel totally fine about it. It was, it was crazy. You get the like, you get the decision and you're just like, okay. Yeah. Like, I guess I'm not obviously going there. I am not going to be at like, it, it seems like such a fantasy anyways, that when it doesn't happen, you're like, of course not. Like I'm living in reality, not a fantasy. So, <laughs> <Right>. um, <laughs> that all worked out and it just feels like, like intuitively it feels like that's what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so also I have started my summer class about urbanization globalization and climate change so the thing is i'm already behind it started on monday what's today thursday yeah somehow already behind on reading (laughs) and um that's not great because it's only a month long and the whole point of taking it was to like really dig into the stuff that i want to learn about and to get a head start on like researching for my note that I'll write for the the secondary journal that I'm on. Okay. Um, so I just, I don't know. I started the class feeling like just not ready to be in class. And mm. I got to, I got to get, get in the groove maybe this weekend. I'll put in a little extra work. I feel um, like that does not, that does not bode well for me who is two weeks away from starting my two month long summer school classes. Oh, wait, what? Is yeah. that your first trimester back, you mean? 
No, I'm taking, there are two sessions of summer school. Yeah. The first session is underway right now, but the second session starts like July 27th or 28th. And I'm doing it, but I'm taking two classes. Okay. Well, I think, I think you, if you're, if you're, if you're mentally ready, if you're like emotionally ready to jump in, then it's nice. I mean, all the stuff I'm learning about is really cool. I just, you know. I finish the work day and I'm like, oh yeah, class. Like I kind of forget to budget time for it, which is not great. Yeah. Um, but anyways, <laughs> other updates. Mm. We register for our two L classes tomorrow at 7.30 a.m. Wow. And it's like they think you're going to be awake or something. <laughs> I certainly will be awake. Um, <laughs> I have this whole strategy um, for classes, it's like first come first serve. You like log on, click, 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 and then you're on yeah. like eight wait lists. Same, um, and that's incredibly stress inducing. But whatever, I just gotta try. Like the three L's registered today, and so I've like looked at the updated list of spots left for different classes, and yeah, it's not great. But at least I already know. I'm in the tax clinic. I can't remember if I told you that. No, I don't think you did. Oh, okay. So a tax clinic does not sound like something that would be interesting to you. So let me back up. We had applications for the clinics at school. um, And there are certain clinics that are really popular, like the entrepreneurship clinic. Okay. Um, And the children's rights clinic like you have to be a 3l basically to work with kids and the low-income taxpayer clinic is uh i just kind of took a guess thinking like maybe fewer people will sign up for this Mm -hmm. and i figured at some point i would take tax law as a class because my legal practice instructor just raves about the professor she was like he made me think about law in a whole new way even Whoa. though it's like a tax law class. Yeah. And I'm all, I mean, like in my personal politics, I'm always like, I'm, I'm, I feel so comfortable saying like, yeah, taxes should pay for like this instead of for the military or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I have no idea what I'm talking about. There's like no, fa- yeah, <laughs> I feel the <laughs> so, exact same way. I will say that until I'm blue in the face, like defund the police, but it's like, okay, where, where are the, where are the taxpayer dollars going? Like, I want to know. So yeah, I, I think that because I was going to take tax anyways, so for with the tax clinic, you have to be taking tax or have already taken tax. Okay. And I was like, you know what, if I'm going to be taking tax um, and I'm looking for a clinic to take, I have a better chance of getting into this one. It'll make taking tax more real. Um, and I figure if I'm applying for a job that is like more corporate or something, That'll know. look good. It could be it could be a way to um, have kind of a morally neutral like sellout job. Not sure how much I'm lying to myself. We'll so see. we'll see. Um, so that I'm actually really excited about. And taking that clinic and that class like eats up more than half of my credits. So I'm a little bit less stressed about registration than I would be otherwise. But it's still just like well. And we also had not heard about our 
grading structure for registration. So Ooh. 30 of us yesterday emailed the dean of the school to be like, hey, before registration, we need to know how we're going to be graded because, like, I drafted the email. Sorry. That's <laughs> just, like, strategy right there. I mean, I, Yeah, like, I was like, look, in my case, like, I'll be at home. I'm, I'm already decided on that. So if we're going to be graded on a curve, I'm going to choose to not take one of these hybrid classes where some of my classmates are going in person because I'll obviously be at a disadvantage against them. On the other hand, if we're being graded credit, no credit, I'm going to take the absolute hardest classes or classes where the professors are known to be like strict on grading or classes, you know, that whatever. Like there's so many things that the grading yeah. structure. I would like think of like, okay, what are the classes I have to take to graduate that I have an inkling I'm going to be bad at? And I'm going to take those. If it was credit, Absolutely. no credit. Yeah. If it was credit, no credit, I would, I would probably even consider dropping tax clinic just to take all of the worst classes. It would be horrible. Right. Well, I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't do it, but I would think about it real hard. So um, then they emailed us today saying, you'll be on the curve. Like, oh no. Yeah. Um, so we are responding with like some feedback, but you know, I know, be, I know how this goes. It's going to be rough. Um, and also, who knows, like, especially in Missouri, what will happen mid-semester if there's another flare-up of stuff and we have to go credit, no credit again. It's like, why didn't we just do that from the beginning? Like, all the reasons that we want credit, no credit last semester are still in place. Like, all of those right. considerations are still valid. Absolutely. I mean, okay, I don't mean to steal your thunder on this, but I do kind of want, can I piggyback? Would you mind yes, if I piggyback? Those are all my, like, updates. I had so many and I just spit them out and now I'm done so it's great that you have a segue <laughs> oh good very good um let's talk about the segue so that it ceases to really flow <laughs> yeah yeah here we go um okay so like kind of to your point though about just like credit no credit is forgiving and it like allows people to explore um without fear i guess like it allows them to learn without fear in my opinion um, and that kind of brings me to my low of the week. So uh, for for folks that are listening, the bar exam is, you probably know, um, like the final, it's like the big boss if you play like any sort of video game that you have to beat before you can like be a lawyer. Um, so, you know, all of these classes that you have to take and the midterms and the finals, those are all like the little bosses. The bar is like the big boss. And um, unless you pass the bar, you can't practice law. So you would imagine that in the COVID summer of 2020, when everybody's supposed to be staying home, socially distancing, six feet apart, no indoor gatherings, et cetera, et cetera, the bar probably would be administered online, if at all, right? Right? Yeah. Wait, am I still muted? Oh, no, you, you're back, but you sound far away. Oh, oh, I, I muted it to cough. I didn't want to, I didn't want to, you know make anyone be concerned for me. Um, Fair enough. I, I'm fine. I just swallowed my kombucha incorrectly. Anyways, uh, I am completely on board with what you're saying. Please right. Continue. Okay. Sorry, sorry to have caught you in a moment. <laughs> <laughs> I, feel, I feel as though I've just exposed you or something. I know. Like <laughs> wow. The one time I mute to cough. No, it's I caught her with her pants down. <laughs> okay. But basically... 
North Carolina is still holding an in-person bar exam in uh, like 10 days or something like two weeks. Yeah. Uh, and it's just so horrifying to me that they're going to be administering this exam regardless of COVID. And yeah, you know, they're saying test takers have to wear a mask for the entire testing period, which that sounds like hell. That sounds awful. Um, Everybody's temperature is going to be taken at the door. If anybody during the exam exhibits a sign of COVID, they're going to be like taken out of the testing room and isolated in in another room so that they could, they can finish the test. Um, And like, this just breaks my heart because the board of examiners say that by taking the exam, the exam taker is voluntarily assuming the, the risk of illness, injury or death. And I'm kind of like, can we really morally and ethically call that voluntary? I think no, because every person who's sitting in that room has sunk like tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars into their education. And many of them already are holding in their hand job offers that are contingent on their passing of the bar. Yeah. So really... They don't have a choice. They have to sit and take this exam. And it's just awful because you work so hard for so long. You're being forced to sit inside amongst other people taking this exam. And, you know, during during this during this time, you can contract the virus and get really, really sick or yourself or take COVID home and infect a loved one. And all of that could happen. And you could still not pass the bar. <sighs> Yeah. It's, preach, preach. That. Oh my God. So Lydia, I know you and I have been kind of like sharing a little bit of info back and forth about um, uh, like diploma privilege. And we mm-hmm. actually shared something on the Twitter about it. <clears throat> um, but uh, Lydia, I, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but would you care to like explain di- diploma privilege just so that the <laughs> listeners don't have to continue listening to me <laughs> on my high horse? I think I might have mentioned it in one of the very first podcast episodes. Not to be that person who was like, I'm talking about this before it's cool, but (laughs) Wisconsin is the only state that currently has a permanent diploma privilege. When University of Wisconsin and Marquette, Marquette, both, if you graduate from those schools, you do not have to take the bar exam to practice law in Wisconsin, which is so cool. So that's the privilege, quote unquote, that you get from having a diploma from one of those schools in that state. And um, there's precedent in addition to Wisconsin. There are several different states. This is actually the research I was doing that got published uh, maybe like a month ago with with my professor. Oh, yeah. The Um, one that you thought was like crazy radical. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So in that paper, my professor was studying. We kind of like helped scrape data and compile it and he was analyzing it to see if these states that had diploma privilege in the 70s and maybe 80s too, um, they got rid of the diploma privilege, but of course there are attorneys who are still practicing now who became attorneys during that, so they still never had to take the bar. And we were analyzing if those attorneys have a higher rate of like, disciplinary action taken against them by the state bar where they practice and and they 
do have a slightly higher rate than oh. lawyers who pass the bar. And the, the paper is much more nuanced than that. But um, Okay, wait, can I throw like a wrench in that though? Yeah. I mean, this is the first that I have. Okay, so they have a slightly higher rate, but also if they're benefiting from a diploma privilege that was granted to them in the 70s and 80s, then I'm imagining on average they've been practicing law longer than other people who are in the same pool against whom they're being tested. You see what I mean? Like if you're comparing a lawyer who's been practicing law for 30 years against one that's been practicing for five, then like there's more time for there's more time, more opportunity. I think um, it was compared to like random samples that included people of their age in other states that had passed the bar um, instead of just against their own. But great intuition uh and stuff like that is addressed in the paper so i don't know if we put that on twitter but we should it's it's cool i think he was one of the first people to publish about it while this debate was happening and there are a couple states that have implemented a temporary diploma privilege can't remember which ones because i didn't i didn't think to prepare this but um (laughs) It, but it's easy to look up. You just search like diploma privilege, COVID or something. And I think that's the more um, humane thing to do. Like the worst that can happen is that something <laughs> unethical happens and then that person is caught and then they're disbarred. You right. Know, it's right. Not great. But even the rate of that happening for people with diploma privilege in the data that I looked at is like it's still pretty low it's not like half of the lawyers are delinquents or something um and the data that we were looking at also showed that a lot of the disciplinary actions happen mid-career not early career because early career you have guidance from Mm. other attorneys in your new jobs it seems like um so there's that too it's like people graduate and then they go to work for someone who just because they passed the bar isn't going to just hand them work and like desert them. Right. You know, they're still going to put them through training and such. So I don't know, especially if it's just for one year. I mean, maybe it could be forever, but it'd be cool. (laughs) (laughs) I think maybe you could guess how we feel. Yeah. The paper was talking about also like one diploma privilege is in place. The schools know how to respond to that. Um, like the professors might be more strict with Mm -hmm. students or more, the school administration might be more willing to kick out a student um, because they know that there's no like final hurdle for them. Like they're the gatekeepers, you know? Right, 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 right. So it would be interesting. So I guess that's part of the, maybe part of the concern is like, if we just implement it with no um, heads up, then people could slip through the cracks. But, you know, like you said, people have worked so hard for years and put in so much money to do this. It's like, it's not just anybody can suddenly practice the law. You still have to have graduated from it. Yeah. And in, and in that way, I guess this is like <sighs> another moment where I am feeling personal frustration with just the infrastructure of the entire legal profession. It's very much like, it feels like hazing, like I had to do it, so you have to do it. And when yeah. you ask why, they're like, yeah. because. <laughs> it's like, it doesn't have to be like this. 
It does not have to be like this. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. God. Yeah, I was reading an article when I was kind of Googling around to see which states uh, had diploma privilege. Um, and I came across an article written in a, a Minneapolis newspaper, but maybe it was, it was, well, that's neither here nor there. There are two University of Minnesota law, law graduates who um, are from Wisconsin, they're Wisconsin natives, and they, they had actually petitioned the Supreme Court of Wisconsin nice. to grant, to like allow them to practice in the state. That's uh, yeah. I mean, I'm like, also, even if it doesn't work, like you guys are bad ass. Yeah. You're like, Hey, I just got a legal education and I'm about to use it. What's up Supreme court. Like, let me come practice in your state. Um, and uh, the last I read that it, it, it hadn't been successful, which is unfortunate. Yeah. But it's like, I'm dang. glad we have a little bit of time before this happens, but change happens so slowly that I'm like, watch us take the bar and then it gets oh eliminated. Yeah. Like after. Well, I mean, we took the LSAT and then they were like, well, now I guess we'll do it online, eliminate the experimental <laughs> section. Like, maybe we'll just, like, yeah, okay, that's that's great. That's great. Oh, um, Nicole has a video about actually the online LSAT. I haven't watched it because I don't want to think about the LSAT, but um, yeah, just to when, when we link my video with her you'll see it come up as like the next suggested video which is oh cool. i'll have to watch that absolutely absolutely okay so your low is that i think yeah. i'll join you with that i didn't really have like a specific low just the perma low as <laughs> as in the past few weeks and i just it's just general stuff so yeah yeah i get you i absolutely get you you have any mess um, you know, not like really, really, uh, I decided I'm going to apply for this fellowship. Ooh. Um, and the prompt for the essay is just asking us to talk about a time that we advocated for ourselves or for a group. And much like earlier in this podcast, when I couldn't come up with a word for the letter <laughs> N, I'm like, mm, yeah, advocate for a group. <laughs> I don't think I've ever done that. Or like, I know I have, but oh. when? Been. Oh my <laughs> <Yeah>. gosh. <laughs> so just like, uh, yeah, it's just me like trying to drum up some kind of, you know, something to say. There's so much you could write about, but yeah. <laughs> that personal statement format is just horrible. It just is. It's like, here's what I have to say about me. Um. Yeah, so that's kind of a meh. And then also just I feel like I'm waiting a lot. There's a lot of waiting. I I reached out to one of the people who sits on the moot court board and I was like, yo, when are we going to hear? And she was like, that's not up to me. And for reference, I heard about my acceptance last August. So you probably okay, have like more time. Rude. Okay, yeah. great. No, 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 it wasn't. She didn't no, say no. it in a rude way. No, no, but... I know. It's just rude of them to make you wait till August. Not, not this person. Right? Sorry. I was like, yeah. come on, man. And also I'm waiting to hear about whether or not I got selected to be an academic fellow. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, which is, I had an interview for that like three weeks ago. Um, so just a lot of waiting. And I and I feel like I'm trying to like sit in this moment of waiting and just be comfortable mm -hmm. because once things ramp up, I know it's just going to be like, you know, hellscape year two. <laughs> so um, that's my meh. Do you have any mehs? Um, well, this seems like low stakes, but basically uh, I had forgotten about this website, All Trails. 
You know that website? No. Really? It's like um, all the trails around you <clears throat> and reviews for them. I've oh. forgotten about it. So the high, it, the like good part of this is that I remember that existed and like found new stuff around St. Louis. All the, trails. Why it's a meh instead of a high is that um, the trail ranked like fifth coolest or something in St. Louis. Ooh. Looked really great online. And then when we got there, it was so crowded with so many people. No. Probably because it's a very pop- popular trail. <laughs> um and no one was wearing masks and it was so hot out there was no shade on the trail like but there were all these trees and bushes in between the trail and the lake that the trail was supposed to go around so in my mind it was going to be like constant water views shade not that many people and then it was just the the opposite worst and like 10 minutes walking on the trail i was like you know what let's just not yeah which leads me into my high then we drove from there to this um, bison and elk preserve or reserve. Preserve? Okay. <laughs> um, what are we doing? That... Preserving or reserving? I think we're <laughs> I preserving. Know. We're not turning them into preserves. But I'll tell you that. Okay. So, yeah, my friend Caitlin told me about it. Shout out to Caitlin. This place is amazing. It's just like a drive through nature preserve. And we just were like looking at all these elk and all these bison like right near St. Louis. That's and it was rad. such a good social distance type of activity. Like everyone's in their cars, like, you know, probably not great for the environment, but um, at least for the animals, like they're not getting used to like human animal interaction. They're just used to kind of a slow moving, like line of cars going around them all the time. Right. Oh, and I was actually more excited about this than the bison and elk. Oh. There was this family of raccoons. There was like eight of them that were like running beside the car. And I made direct eye contact with the leader raccoon who like drooled a little <laughs> bit while we made eye contact. And I was like, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome. I think the leader was raccoon. By the bison. Oh. But I was like, um, yeah. Other highs include my therapist who has just been knocking it out of the park it's like she's a psychic except she's not she's actually just an active listener who can like summarize everything i've ever told her and like tell me things about my life that i never knew um so i'm like wow she's so great and then another high is that billy had made me these like he surprised me by making this like very complicated dinner of fried vegetable fritters like also lentil like lentil zucchini fritters that had like cumin and turmeric and all this stuff and I had never had this type of meal so it was like just great to have something like so new during quarantine when I'm usually just making instant pot like mush um, yeah I'm gonna need that recipe yeah it's actually a vegan recipe it's one of those things that's super delicious and then halfway through you're like oh my gosh this is even vegan this is great oh it was end so it has been an, a pretty good past two weeks do you have I love highs? to hear it. Hi, uh, you know, no, I mean, like my highs, I think were, um, <clears throat> I, I guess I, I hate to say it, but my class rank did jump quite a bit. Yeah, which is, which is such a high. I'm like, yeah, she's fighting yes. now, baby. Yes. Um, yeah, so that feel that feels good. Just like you know, when you work, 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 work so hard to like see, you know, just ah. one, like a few numbers change. You're like, this is. This feels good. Um, so that's a high. And then 
you know, just working on my project for my, my internship. I've really enjoyed that. It kind of gives me, gives my brain something interesting to do. Um, nothing. I mean, and then also going to Brevard, going to Pisgah National mm-hmm. Forest uh, a few times in the last two weeks has been pretty great. A lot of good outdoor time. I finally got a little, my, my freckles are popping again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I am enjoying that. That's great. Yeah. Um, so the, the uh, theme for this week's podcast was going to be talking to each other and the listeners about what it is that we're doing in our internship. Um, And I I don't know, Lydia, do you want to, I feel like maybe I'll go first (laughs) because I don't have a whole lot to say. Um, Okay. Yeah. We're still mid internship. I mean, my, my thoughts are very disjointed um, too. Right. Right. And like, I had felt really good about all of this uh, research that I'd done. And then I, yeah, I got some questions today about the research. So the people that are, that I'm doing research for, they're not lawyers. Um, so my whole job was to take, so I'm, I'm interning at this nonprofit, right? And there are certain limits to a nonprofit's ability to lobby any kind of, for any legislation to any Mm. legislator, um, which I did not realize before, which is crazy because I, I came there. Yeah, I I worked at a nonprofit for years, did not know that. Um, but there are limits, and so the project that they gave me was to research what the legal limits of lobbying are, mm-hmm. um, and then report back to them so that they don't you know get in trouble for stepping overstepping. Um, and I thought that I had done it all. <laughs> I thought that I had like really figured this out and cracked the code. And I wrote this four page um, kind of like how to guide about it. Like, here are the rules. Here's the issue. Here are all the rules. And here is my recommendation. And then yeah. I, I gave the paper to my professor and she edited it a little bit. And we like went back and forth about it. And then I gave it to the to the folks at the nonprofit, and then they hit me with all these questions. And I was like, I have to get back to you on that because those are all great questions. But, um, <laughs> okay, so that I'm sorry. That, that would be like the process kind of, you're like a liaison for the Yeah, blog. yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so let me back up a little bit. Okay. So nonprofits uh, are generally categorized in the I in the eyes of the IRS as a 501c3. See, you're doing tax right now. Look at me go. Yes. I mean, that's just something I already knew. But yeah, Yeah. so nonprofits are 501c3s. And usually um, they're like public charities. And because of that, they're tax exempt. So if you've ever made a donation to a charity, they'll often say like, this is tax exempt. You can write this off you know, on your taxes. And so they give you a donation receipt. That's kind of, that's how all that plays together. It's like never worth it to like itemize your taxes. Am I right? Well, (laughs) you also have to donate $10,000 or more for it to even be relevant on your taxes. When, when Adam and I got our taxes done this year, Adam brought in like a hundred dollars worth of donation receipts and dude was like, yeah, okay. (laughs) Yeah. That personal deduction. Yeah. He's like, Anyways. that's cute, but keep it, keep it at home next time. Yeah. Aww. So, okay. So, so this status, this tax exempt status means that 
the that the nonprofit itself can only do work within the scope of their organization. So for example, the nonprofit that I used to work for could engage in public dialogue around like HIV, AIDS, like LGBT issues, but taking a public stance and like urging those the legislator around like police brutality, for example, um, would be out of scope. And therefore, that is so frustrating. I know it could, but but it's all like so when you when you really look at the tax code on it, like you see how there are like ways around this kind of baked in. But if you're a hard and fast five hundred one c three, that's like HIV AIDS related, and you're talking about police brutality and urging the legislature to like do one thing or another. You might very well be, you are probably stepping outside of the bounds of what a 501c3 is in the eyes of Mm. not only the IRS, but the FEC, the Federal Elections Committee. Um, So if you start to do that, then the FEC is going to get involved because they're the ones who are policing what's going on with elections. Um, And they're the ones that want to make sure that like, they're the ones who are like making sure that people, you know, campaign funding, like where is money coming from? Who's talking to legislators? Like who's, who's behind the people that are making the decisions. They're the ones that are trying to keep everything above board. Um, So 501c3 nonprofits aren't allowed to lobby too much. Um, pretty much at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been doing a lot of research on like, okay, well, if they're not allowed to lobby, what it, what are we what yeah. it, what are we considering lobbying? What is lobbying? Yeah. Right? So lobbying, according to the code of federal regulations, is essentially it's like having people in your organization contact members or employees of a legislative body in an attempt to advocate for or against something. Um, Or you being a part of an organization urging the public to contact members of the legislator. Um, So what's not lobbying, you might be wondering. It's like, okay, if I can't do that, what can I do? Yeah. Um, Basically, you can hold... And I'm putting, you can't see this, but I'm like putting air quotes around it. You can hold educational meetings. So you can, as an organization, prepare and distribute materials because they're educational. Um, You can engage with people within your organization without of it around policy issues in an educational manner or tone. Essentially, you cannot do anything that is overtly an attempt to persuade anybody. Um, and your next question might be, all right, so <laughs> so what if what if I uh, what if I am trying to persuade someone? Then yeah, what? yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> so the FEC, I'm imagining it's like this just like tall white man in a in a in a very like boxy uh, blazer and a top hat. He comes in and he oh. says to you your lobbying efforts are subject to my scrutiny (laughs) and based on the amount of spending that you've done, you are going to be penalized. Mm -hmm. Um, So the spending is measured two ways. There's both like, there's actual like an expenditures test. You know, if your organization, basically it's a ratio. If a specific, you know, if you're, if your ratio, if your expenditures for lobbying go over the, uh, you know, allowable ratio, you're in trouble. Um, 
And, but the second one, which is way more like nebulous. I feel like I use that word a lot, but it's just sort of like this like amorphous blob of a test. It's called the substantial part test. So basically the FEC looks at all the pertinent facts and circumstances um, and they determine whether or not your lobbying efforts are quote unquote substantial. Uh, so they consider things like how much time is devoted uh, to the employees have like actually lobbying, how much time is devoted mm. to volunteers lobbying, uh, that kind of thing. And, what and that ratio be? That's the that's the pinching point of my research because I'm like, oh. all right, what is the ratio? Like I need yeah. I need numbers, numbers, numbers. And I guess if you're gonna do that, then you could look at the expenditures test, which says, you know, 20% of the business is, you know, lobbying and the other 80 isn't, and then, you know, do it that way. But like when you're considering things like volunteer hours, um, it because it's just it's just really kind of like blurry and murky and you're like well mm. if you're looking at the totality of circumstances like it's just there's no like bright line at least no bright line that i have found yet so if you're listening to this and you're like pagan foolish girl there is a bright line this is it please write in because you would save me so much time um you sound like such a professional no lydia you're just talking me up no, everything you just said, I was like, damn. <laughs> wow, that means a lot to me. Thank you. Thank you, thank yeah. you. I will um, be um, contacting you once I take tax, take tax law to ask you some follow-up questions. <laughs> oh, thank goodness. I didn't, at that know, point. I didn't know about that. Um, so you've taught me a lot. Yeah, I had no idea either. I feel like I probably broke so many laws accidentally <laughs> Like when I, when I worked at... Um, the LA LGBT center. I was, I was out there advocating all day, every day, but <laughs> they probably, they probably had me siloed in a 501 C four, which I'm not going to get into, but that wow. is another kind of way around it. 501 C four is our social welfare organizations as opposed mm -hmm. to public charities. And if you're a 501 C four, you can, you're like unlimited in your lobbying ability. You can lobby until you're blue in the face and wow. and that's fine. And actually, you can be both a 501c3 and a 501c4 at the same time. Whoa. You just have to like really, really scrutinize where your money's going and keep every damn receipt because they're going to want to. You can't have one fund the other. The things I've I learned. See. Well, yeah. you can also advocate in your personal capacity. Like if you're just out there like advocating for stuff, but you're not yes. like on the clock. Exactly. Right. So that that brings me to to uh, Roman numeral number five of oh my, my. <laughs> of, of my uh, research paper. You're absolutely right. Like anybody can have their own personal platform. You can get on Twitter and like pop off all day. Just make sure that that Twitter account isn't linked to like whatever nonprofit you work for. Make mm -hmm. sure you're not sending, um, you know, uh make sure you're not sending lobbying letters with your professional email, make sure your mm. SIG block is just like your own personal signature block, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. We can't send um, stuff from our school email that is for organizing for certain things, which yeah. is weird, but um, yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's my update. That's what I've been up to. Wow. <laughs> 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 
Yes, air horns to replace clapping. Imagine that. At the end of the orchestra concert, everyone's like, on their phones. (laughs) I'm into that. So tell me all about asylum and such. Wow, I will not be as eloquent as you. Um, I will say, though, um, if you want to learn about the asylum process. So the immigration clinic happens to have like several asylum cases and I can't talk about cases individually, but um, I can talk about the process a little bit generally. And we have other types of cases too, but um, for asylum, one of the video series I watched during orientation was really cool. I'll link to it on the blog because you're able to watch a real asylum case from start to finish. Like the first meeting like the attorneys like talking about how they want it to have the first meeting go before the client comes in then the first meeting with the client and then like all the way through to the final decision like that's very cool bless the person who the client who was willing to be videotaped because you know you're watching the attorneys like interview her about the persecution that she faced which is just like hard enough to do without a camera being on but um her agreeing to do that has made it so helpful for people like me to learn about the process. And um, I think if you're, you, one of the things that I've learned about immigration is these cases are so, take so long. Like hearings can be scheduled like a year apart. Really? And yeah, the process takes so long that, um, you know, a student working in a clinic or someone working in their first job might not actually see a case go from beginning to end. So that video series is really helpful for that. Um, so I'll preface it with that because <laughs> watching that would be much more helpful than listening to me ramble about the things I've learned about. Um, but I'll also give the, like, overarching kind of observation okay. that... Um, I feel like the learning process for actually practicing law is very piecemeal. It's not like a class, um, like you just, there's a motion due, there's a, um, you know, affidavit due, there's a brief due. There are just these different things that come up because you have these different timelines for different clients. And so I've learned like bits and pieces and I think it'll come together later, probably when I take immigration law as a class. But um, that's part of why it was hard. it was hard to think through what I've learned because I I don't think I could just sit down and kind of like explain immigration law. There are so many um, acronyms for okay. all, and I don't really know how they all fit together. I had found this slideshow. Hold on. And there was like an intro to immigration law. Um, and I'm pulling it up. Um, as an example of, <laughs> so we've got DHS, USCIS, CPB, ICE, which is IC, DOS, DOL. And you're like, oh my gosh. And they all like BIA, like all of these things, like, now they all have meaning to me, but at first you're just like, wait, what? So like DHS, the Department of Homeland Security has underneath it, the US Citizenship and Immigration Service, Customs and Border Protection and Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Whoa. And it's like confusing to, like they all kind of sound the same, but like USCIS, USCIS, um, 
I like my old work called it uses. So now I do too, but um, they have like visa applications and then the customs and border protection is like the physical border. And then ice is like, we all know probably does like deportations and uh, you turn in like your I-9 and stuff. Uh-huh. And then the Department of State is the one who has like embassies abroad and the Department of Labor has more of the like employment based visas and it's just uh, all the administrative agencies are so confusing. <laughs> and then the Department of Justice has like the Board of Immigration Appeals that's the BIA under it. Um, and that was it's been interesting to learn about the Board of Immigration Appeals because there's a whole like immigration court system. Um, this is something I knew before the internship. So it doesn't qualify for like the list of things I'm learning, but it's still helpful background. But immigration offenses are civil offenses, not criminal offenses. So like if you were to cross the border without um, certain uh, documents or authorizations, you haven't committed a crime. It's like getting a parking ticket or something. It's a civil offense. So these, it's not like, it's not like you've committed a crime and then you get, you go through like the criminal courts. The immigration courts are their own thing. And the top like court there is the Board of Immigration Appeals. And then you could appeal that to like a federal court. Um, But most of these cases or like most of the opinions of the Board of Immigration Appeals are unpublished and they don't apply to other cases that might have really similar facts. I had so no you don't idea. get that like precedential value from them. Right. Like stare decisis isn't as much of a thing. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, which has its downside for this context where there are a lot of people who have the same, like not same, sorry, who have similar, who are coming from similar situations, like right. fleeing the same, like from the same country, fleeing the same type of persecution. Um, for asylum, at least, that that can be frustrating. Um, so, but also, I guess the upside would be that, like, maybe you have a chance. Maybe someone else was denied, but maybe you can still have some hope that uh, you'll be accepted. Ugh, that's um, uh, that's very glasses half full of you. <laughs> I, yeah, I know. Um, so let's see what else have I learned. So, anyways, that has, was not a great explanation. It was more of a an explanation of why I'm not really clear on it yet. I, I tried to find just like a visual graphic of how all of the agencies fit together. And like, if something goes through the immigration courts and then goes from the Board of Immigration Appeals to a federal court and to the Supreme Court, because there is a case that the Supreme Court is looking at that has to do with an immigration um, regulation. And I think... <laughs> Now I'm just talking about stuff I don't know about, but they can go up there, you know? So I'm not really sure how that happens, but, um, okay. Related to that (laughs) is the law, like immigration law, like where is it? So there's the immigration and nationality act, which is like a statute, um, that I guess like went through Congress but immigration is like part of administrative law which i remember asking you like what's administrative law 
like as I was starting this internship for immigration, which is administrative law. Um, but the, and see here, I'm, I'm concerned. I hope I'm not explaining this incorrectly. Um, but the Department of Homeland Security, which is an executive agency, not the legislature who passed the Immigration and Nationality Act, their regulation, like they're like an administrative agencies, they pass these regulations to like clarify what they think the statute means. So like, um, let me give an example. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I need, <laughs> I thrive on examples. Okay. Um, yeah, the regulations like explain more of how that statute is going to actually be implemented. So like Congress has has signed this Immigration and Nationality Act um, saying this is how immigration should work, but it's the executive branch who's like has all those departments that I listed earlier. So then they're the ones saying like, this is how we're going to actually do it. Fill out this form, pay this fee. Okay. So um, let me see. Okay. So uh, I'll give a really brief example. If you marry someone who is not a U.S. citizen and you fill out the paperwork to get a visa for them based on the marriage. Okay. If you have just gotten married, then the visa that you would get would have like a condition on it. Um, you have to, the condition is that you would need to be married for two years and then you apply to have that like condition removed um, or sorry, like the status is on a conditional basis, basically. It's like, oh, okay, okay, you can be married, but like we want to make sure this is a real marriage. So in two years, like apply again. Um, well, not apply again. Oh, my God. I'm I got to say, like nothing. What I'm, I'm not a professional. Like none, none, none of this is like <laughs> I really in case it wasn't clear. <laughs> Um, I'm still following though. I'm still okay. following. So it's like, Amazing. it's like, okay, it, you, you know, if your marriage lasts for two years, we're going to revisit this, this license and we're going to remove the provision from it essentially. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then you just are like, you know, now you're on the path to being a permanent resident. But before that, it's like, well, we just really want to make sure that people aren't taking advantage of the spouse abuse. So we put this condition on it. So if you look at <laughs> 8 USC section 1186A, oh, you'll find <laughs> conditional permanent resident status for certain alien spouses and sons and daughters. And it says like, it's describing the condition and it's talking about like, if they find out that the marriage is improper, how they can like terminate the condition even before those two years and um, how, how hearings should happen, you know, I, I'm skimming and I don't know. Okay, well, let's let's just say that anyone can look that up who who wants to, and I will not try to summarize it because I'm doing poorly. That's the statute. If you go to 8 CFR section 216.4, <laughs> this is a regulation from the Department of Homeland Security that's saying, Okay, um, here's the procedures for filing that petition to get the condition removed. Fill out this form, which is linked here. 
pay this form to this person. Like if you have a, a child between the two of you, you need to do this. So it's just more detailed. And I thought that was interesting. I didn't realize that there were this like back and forth between the legislative branch and the executive branch in that way. I suppose um, I didn't either. Yeah. Well, once you take administrative law, you're going to be able to like actually explain everything I just said so much better. <laughs> oh, so I actually dropped administrative law for the fall. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I'm taking a uh, drug and addiction policy law. Whoa. Okay. Cool. Yeah, but one day I'll be able to explain it to you, just not <laughs> soon. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Yeah, very good. Just, yeah, hold on. Um, I learned something cool about, well, not cool, I mean, kind of terrifying, about these marriage-based visas. Mm. So we all know, like, you can marry anybody um, and, you know, with it legally, like, within limits. And <laughs> then you can just, like, get apply to get them a visa. It sounds easy. And it sounds easy to do fraudulently. So I just want to list some of the consequences for if the government finds out that you have a fraudulent marriage, because I had no idea that oh. it was this serious. I thought it would be like, oh, they just like remove the visa. They, they just like disqualify you from getting the visa. But Can I, before you read this list, what? just, <laughs> I don't know if I ever told you the story about the bar manager at the pub that I worked at in New York City that offered mm -hmm. me $20,000 to marry him. Wow. Yeah. Was it? <laughs> so I'm you're just you're about to. Uh, no, I, d I didn't do it, but I did think about it. <laughs> it's like that's a lot of bones. Um, yeah. Super glad I didn't do it. Really, really glad. Disclaimer. But I am. You're about to read me this list, and like I can already feel like my my breath kind of quickening. I'm like, oh god, what I, what could I have done accidentally to myself? So please yeah. go ahead. Well, you might wonder if like the. Uh, risk would be all on the the person who's not a U.S. citizen, you know. Like you could imagine a scheme like that, mm -hmm. but there are serious consequences for both people. You both would get a prison sentence. Ooh, um, so it's and, it's a crime, is what you're saying? <laughs> uh, yeah, and you're both fined two hundred and fifty thousand um, dollars. What? Yeah. Also. The person who's not the U.S. citizen, um, this like charge of fraudulence would go on their immigration record, which would make it like almost impossible for them to ever get a visa to come to the U.S. like again. Oh my god! Yeah, which is like really rough <laughs> for them. Yeah. And the like amount of evidence that you have to like show the government to prove that the marriage is legit. Just like upfront, just so that they never suspect you and they never threaten you with these things is so invasive. It's like texts that you've sent each other, like that show that you're in love. Like, um, actually, there's like a range of like good evidence to weak evidence. The weakest being like letters from your friends talking about how in love you are, and the best being like shared bank account, shared like mortgage, shared like really like serious stuff. That's <laughs> hard right. to just like fraudulently do. And then, you know, like photos of you together over a long period of time and like texts between you. I think I already said that. Um, and yeah, it's not hard. It's not easy to hack that. And that was that was interesting. I learned that um, not because 
we have a case of anyone doing that, just for the record. Um, what else? Uh, I learned what affidavits are, <laughs> which I guess probably a lot of people learn in CIPRO, but I don't think... Wait, I... wait, wait. Can I tell you what I think it is? Yeah. Is it just like a sworn statement? Yes, exactly. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's, it, it has to be more complicated than that, no? No, I mean, that's all it is, but there's a function of it in at least in, um, in asylum cases mm. where you're explaining like exactly why you uh, fear or why you face, per like how you face persecution and why you're afraid to go back home and Got it. stuff. And so like those are kind of a particular thing that gets crafted and it just takes a long time to compile it. It's kind of like to make a really kind of juvenile uh, comparison kind of reminded me of like a law school application where once you turn it in and it's done you know you got a couple pages of a partner's personal statement you got a resume it doesn't look like it would be it would take that much time to do but it takes so much time to get it right to like really represent the thing right you know? yeah well, at least like i spent freaking weeks on my personal statement so oh same yeah um yeah. let me see i think and then like little things too like i have so much respect for translators um it's just like amazing to be able to like just that humans can just like immediately translate maybe because i've never been like bilingual but um i was like wow uh that's just amazing right. uh, what else and that meeting clients like where they're at which also sounds like kind of easy is really hard um, oh, yeah like i'm imagining that this is akin to a doctor's bedside manner like people are either going to trust you and feel safe around you or they're not yeah you have to be like creative and like if there's technical difficulties you just have to be like yeah you just gotta be flexible right and then the last thing i've learned is that keeping up with all the changes in immigration law is absolutely insane it's like such a complicated area of law and everything's changing all the time yeah and it's so oppressive and it's kind of horrible but it's good to be working on something that like has a positive impact sometimes but i'm like this area of law is nuts right i yeah i mean like i i cannot i cannot imagine being an immigration attorney in america today <laughs> yeah 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 that's the thing of it well yeah so those are my disjointed thoughts <laughs> <laughs> well they, i mean i i'm kind of jealous of your internship i i feel like you're you're doing actual well we're both like doing actual work but um yeah at least yours is you're meeting with clients i'm not really meeting with clients i think that that would make being a lawyer feel real yeah yeah it really does like I, I my research skills are completely disintegrating and I will not know how to write any papers come next year. But at least for now, it, it's really nice to meet with people. And, you know, right now I forgot what everybody else's name is aside from you and Adam. But my research <laughs> skills are on point. Yes. I'm, I'm right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Well, all right, my friend. Is there anything else that we were going to chat about today? Nah, that's it. Just our <laughs> mid-internship check-in. Sweet. All right. Well, um, 
I'm actually going to be on a on a socially responsible vacation next week. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, let's chat two weeks then. Going on a, the the old belated honeymoon. So, are you serious? That is so cute. Yeah, we're going to the beach for a week. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So we will touch base at the end of July. Okay. Bye. Right. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone.